prognosis, fertile myrtle, minus or plus. There it is. Little pink plus sign is so unholy. That ain't no Etch-a-Sketch. This is one doodle that can't be undid, Holmes Gillett. Uh, the one thing is the Ataris, I don't know if you remember, in one of their albums, they sampled that part from Goodwill Hunting where Ben Affleck tells Matt Damon, like, one day I'm just going to come yeah, to one, your door yes. and you're not going to be there. You're not going to be there. It's, you know, the happiest moment of my day, every day, is when I knock on your door. Like that <laughs> Yeah, one. I was just like, uh, okay. So I watched the movie because of that Atari song and I was like, I don't get this at all. <laughs> I, I loved when punk bands would sample movie scenes and I would try <laughs> I would try to watch all like uh, what uh, what a shitty summer was a, a song from oh I think they were called Longmire they were like a really okay. obscure local band from the Bay Area and they used a scene from Better Off Dead which I love now because I saw <laughs> it because of that sample so when I watched Goodwill Hunting I'm like what the fuck is going on with white dudes from Minneapolis Minnesota because they love <laughs> this terrible movie I don't understand so there's one thing I want to look up here real quick about the Ataris so <laughs> the thing the thing I know them best for, and I think this is going to be like most what most people say, is they know they they did the cover of uh, Boys, Boys of, of Summer. Summer, yeah, a hundo, right? Hundo. Um, didn't one of them get like arrested for fraud or something? Oh my god, I don't know, I don't know, but I I know somebody who's worked with the producer that worked with them, and they said that like they were very creepy men. And so now okay. it's hard for me to be like I love the Ataris because now I know kind of the debauchery that they got yeah. into and i well i can't support that speaking of debauchery their bass player uh just pulled this up mike davenport uh was arrested in a 27 million dollar real estate scam what <laughs> facing uh charges of wire fraud and mail fraud and 30 years in prison now this story is from 2018 so i don't know if like the trial already happened wow um, that's but sad <laughs> He, yeah, he couldn't, he, he couldn't like, just be happy going to Warp Tour. <laughs> like, commit fraud. I mean, everybody's dream is to do the Warp Tour. So, like, what's going on with this guy? It's certainly my dream. I, I still, to this day, think that I'm going to be a lead singer of a punk band at some point. Welcome back to Probably Should Have Known Better. I am hologram of a person, Nadia Vasquez. And joined, as always, is the flesh and bone of Tony Ginocchio. That's the weirdest goddamn intro we've done so far. Uh, I, but I, want, I really wanted to add something about myself, you know? <laughs> Just so that people knew what I'm about. A hologram of a person is like a Haley Williams lyric or something. <laughs> Yeah, from her solo stuff because it's yes, not as from good yeah, as not Paramore. from the Paramore stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm very excited for all of us to be together today to discuss actually one of my favorite movies, Juno. Yeah, and the like, 
here's the thing is when i saw this movie for the first time which was in the theater on a date uh i let's talk about that tony well, <laughs> uh i hated it really and yes and so did my date who is a woman that i am now married to and so wow uh, was that your first date no oh, okay although, i was gonna say tony come on although that would have been like within probably the first six months of us being together um oh, but okay. it, in any event um you know having watched it again we'll talk about the the whole thing in a minute but having watched it again i definitely have come around on a lot of it um i'm glad there's still uh there's still i think enough in here to talk about in terms of stuff that maybe should have been thought through a little more i agree and also um also the legacy of this film uh which is now 13 years old uh is kind of complicated uh so much so that the screenwriter and i'm sure we'll have a lot to say about her uh the screenwriter um said in an interview last year that she would not have made this movie uh in today's like political climate absolutely it makes a lot of sense but the thing is though is back then we didn't have any quirky lead characters in movies that were palatable and i think <laughs> and, I, and i think juno you know despite the you know first 15 minutes of the film i think juno as a character herself is just so fantastic and ellen page is just so amazing it, it helps that ellen page is playing her and ellen page is great Absolutely. Like, if they had yeah. gotten, I don't know, uh, what's her name? Kristen Natalie Dunst. Portman. Oh, yeah. We're <laughs> <laughs> we both named the Manic Pixie Dream Girls in respective movies. Yeah. But, but I think I think this is a really good... This is a fantastic cast, first of all. Absolutely. Really, I think it's well-directed. I think it's visually very beautiful. The... The only thing is, though, is that, yeah, like, the subject matter is just a little... A little dated. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. The way it's handled is uh, a little dated. Um, but Juno, from 2007, directed by Jason Reitman, uh, and perhaps more importantly, written by Diablo Cody. And this was Diablo Cody's first screenplay. She won an Oscar for it. Um, she had written a book. She had written a memoir uh, at this point, and she had a uh, a blog that was really popular that's how she got the book deal but this this was the first thing that she wrote for the screen kind of on a whim uh and uh she won an oscar for it the movie ended up being uh insanely successful we will actually talk about um kind of how how much money it made which was way more than i thought it did when i looked it up oh yeah um but uh but before that as always um, it's been a couple weeks since we last recorded. Nadia, what is getting you through quarantine right now in terms of pop culture? Oh my god. Okay, I know that I'm very behind on this, but <laughs> I I really was Well, last to... time you said Star Wars from 1977. So okay, how so I'm far not, behind? <laughs> I'm not that behind. To be fair, I had watched it once before, so it was like a rewatch to see if I really, really hated it, kind of the same way that you're watching <laughs> Juno now. But I really, oh man, I've powered through Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, okay. And I'd never seen it. I think I was in high school when that was on, and my nephews were watching it, and I was just like, what is this cartoon? And I just kind of brushed it aside. But it was a trending thing on Netflix, so I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give this a shot. I think I got through it in a week and a half. 
three mm-hmm. seasons, and it was fantastic. Yeah, I gotta watch that. I, I'm behind on all of my anime now. Um, <laughs> it's technically not an anime because it was not made in Japan. It was made here. Oh, well, now I feel like a racist, but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't you feel like that every day, though? Yeah. Just one <laughs> one new thing to be feeling racist about every day. Um, I do want to watch that. Uh, when I... Uh, our, our daughter had a boo-boo back in January, and we had to take her to the emergency room. And the emergency room at the children's hospital happened to have Avatar The Last Airbender on. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I'm like such a nerd. I'm like, what episode? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I don't remember because I was, uh, I, for some reason, I was very preoccupied. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Knowing me having no children and I'm like, what episode is it? You're like, she had a boo-boo. <laughs> Come on. It was fine. She got stitches. Um, Aww. Anyways, I'm just saying the children's hospital had some pretty bumping TV. Oh yeah. Well, Avatar the Last Airbender is incredible. It it covers imperialism, mm-hmm. it covers racism, just any kind of prejudice they've touched on that and w- the, you know, the casualties of war, all of that yeah. stuff in a children's show. It won it won a Peabody award actually for Awesome. It. Yeah, so I was like, okay, I'm obsessed with this now. And so now I'm watching the sequel to that which is The Legend of Korra, which I don't think is as good, but it's okay. fine. Okay, well, that is an excellent recommendation. I will Anytime. have to, I will have to add it to my list. So I also have an animated one. Um, so my parents got Disney Plus. Uh, so my wife and I are leeching off of their <laughs> subscription. Um, I think they got it to watch Hamilton, uh, but we watched Toy Story Four. Ooh, uh, what did you which, think? That's such a divisive movie. I, I get why it's divisive. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, there's a couple things. The main thing is I don't like that every Pixar film is about the inexorable passage of time <laughs> and my mortality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to think about how you will inevitably die at the end of right. every Pixar movie and then cry on your way home. Or and, in this case, on your way from the living room to the bathroom where you can cry in private. Yeah, but because all four Toy Stories are about that. Um, I would argue both of the Incredibles movies are about that because they're Uh about how someday you won't be around to protect your children. Uh, No. um, Up, obviously, is about that. Yeah, that one hits you in the first 10 minutes. They're like, they're going to fucking die. Yeah, Uh, Coco, which I think is is truly one of the best, um, is about that. Uh, fuck Ernesto de la Cruz and uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, the only one that's not is really like Ratatouille uh, but um, well in, but, a, in a way you could say because Chef Boyardee is his legacy does oh yeah on, the, the Chef Gustav yes yes the Brad Garrett character yeah. yes yes but he his legacy lives on through a rat so like <laughs> if that message is you will die and you don't really know who your re- legacy is going to be carried on it could be a rodent <laughs> that's an excellent point but no i thought it was good um you know there were plenty of moments where i laughed uh and um i thought it was very interesting how they found kind of a new conflict but then the other the other question i have is like so for those of you that hadn't seen the movie i don't think i'm gonna spoil anything when i say a large part of the movie focuses on woody's relationship with bo peep right the uh the the lady uh doll and they (laughs) they appear to be in love uh and i'm curious as to how the toys feel uh desire 
okay. Like, can toys he... fall in love? And then, obviously, the ancillary question, can toys be horny? Well, I mean, he has a string you can pull. <laughs> and then she has a staff. I'm just saying. <laughs> so you're you're saying, so you're envisioning, because, like, at the end. That's not envision, Tony. Okay. <laughs> Here's something. Here's something else that I think of. Okay. Um, do you remember the the All Dogs Go to Heaven films? Yes. From Don Bluth Studios. Uh, if I remember correctly, there's this like at the end, and I don't remember a huge part of the plot, and I'm pretty sure if I did, it wouldn't make any sense. But at the end, the the guy dog and the girl dog end up together, and I think they like kiss each other, like people kiss. Like their little kiss on, their little snouts come together. Yeah, they yeah. like kiss on the lips, and I'm like, even as a kid watching that, I'm like, I don't think that's how a dog would kiss you. <laughs> I think it's kind of in the same vein of you know, on in Ice Age when they tried to give the little squirrel who is an allegory for God uh, a <laughs> a female girlfriend, and she has squirrel titties. <laughs> So it's like kind of the same energy with that. It's like yes. we need to we need to say that these two characters are going to fuck. They could fuck if they wanted. <laughs> right. It's very heterosexual, but they're <laughs> animals. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we should ask for life advice from those animators at this point. <laughs> Knowing a lot of what we know now of a lot of people, I think and we're so, good. Yeah. Certainly not from Don Bluth Studios, which is a studio made All Dogs Go to Heaven, but they also made, like, this string of incredibly dark animated films. Um, the The Secret of Nim came from there. Um, oh, that one was really hardcore. I don't think yeah. I finished that as a kid because I got too scared. Yeah, Rockadoodle came from there. Um, Did they do We're Back, the dinosaur movie? We're Back, the dinosaur movie, I believe, was Bluth. And then, um, you know, their big money makers were Land Before Time Ugh. and um, Anastasia. They made Anastasia as well. I, lo- I actually use the Anastasia DVD to hold up my microphone when we record, <laughs> and I look at it all the time. It, so, uh, great, great soundtrack. Um, fantastic soundtrack. Also, John Cusack, arguably his best role. Possibly, yeah. I would. The one complaint I have about Anastasia is now, as my personal politics have changed, I'm kind of <laughs> like maybe they should have killed all the Romanovs. Uh, <laughs> they had to leave one. <laughs> um, but what are we doing talking about Don Bluth Studios? We're here to talk about Juno, uh, and we're here to talk about 2007. Um, and so, Nadia, what what would be the former current events? I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this because in in this this year was 2007 when, when Juno was released, and I was a young, impressionable Nadia, really confused about life. And we were both in college when this came out. We were both in college when this came out, and so when I was reading the former current events, I just got transported back in time. It was really amazing because, listen to this shit. The big movies of that year included Spider-Man 3, which is the worst Spider-Man. The worst, the worst one of any <laughs> Spider-Man continuity. We got the worst e- one. emo Peter Parker. I, I can't. It's so good. Also, Shrek the Third came out that year. Mm-hmm. Transformers, which started Megan the Fox's first career. Exactly. Yeah. And Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, which I didn't watch, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows was published. And all of my friends yes. and I lined up at midnight to get I that book. I was camped out for that one, yep. 
Did, were you worried about people spoiling? Because there were places in the suburbs where these asshole kids were going around with megaphones spoiling the book. I heard about that happening for book six. Um, I had not heard about that happening for book seven. Um, cause I, so I camped out for six and for seven. And, yeah, same. Um, same. And, we're so nerdy. <laughs> but but in it, when the when book seven came out, I was working at my university oh, over the summer. Okay. Um, so I was like sleeping in a dorm, and like it it like it was easy for me to avoid it, it, spoilers about it if I had to. And, That's good. That's good. And I think I read it in like four days. Like it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Uh, that was, that was really, that was one of the big things of that year was avoiding Deathly Hallows spoilers. Of course, this is before Twitter was the go-to place. Exactly. So, uh, people, there was actually, uh, armed security at a lot of the midnight releases because they didn't want, it was usually prepubescent boys with their (laughs) older brothers driving who were spoiling the book for a lot of people. So that was one of the most interesting parts of that. Uh, the iPhone was named Time's Invention of the Year. Mm-hmm. Don't tase me, bro, was the most popular catchphrase. <laughs> it was one of the first viral videos as well. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but when the Simpsons movie came out, uh, 7-Eleven converted 11 of its stores and uh, in the U.S. and Canada into Quickie Marts that year. I do remember that. I saw the Simpsons movie in theaters. I enjoyed it very much. Um, Have you been to the Simpsons land at Universal Studios? Yes, it is so cool. It's so good. It's so cool. (laughs) so freaking good. I got got a beer at Moe's, and I felt... I was the only person there, so I didn't feel, like, that cool. But I was just like, this is fucking cool. (laughs) Um, Paris Hilton spent 23 days in jail for her DUI in 2007. Anna oh, Nicole Smith. That. Oh yeah, Anna Nicole Smith died of an overdose at age 39 in 2007, and in that same year, Lindsay Lohan went to rehab three times. So if you hearken th- back to 2007, <laughs> think about how most of the things on the internet were very pink and Perez Hilton. <laughs> Perez Hilton themed. It was all about the Hollywood gossip. This was the probably one of the most hectic years because it was also the year that Britney Spears had her big... The umbrella. The umbrella, shave her head, fiasco. Now looking back, as we know, hashtag free Britney, she was really going through a rough time and we were not treating her very well, which is a common theme with a lot of the people that I've already mentioned, including Megan Fox and Diablo Cody, but we'll probably talk about that. (laughs) This is my favorite part of 2007 were the top songs. Number one song that was on... The Billboard charts for the longest was Crank That Soldier Boy by nice. Soldier Boy. Uh, what Goes Around Comes Around by Justin Timberlake was released that year in which he exploited his relationship with Britney Spears in the music video, and I was very mad about it. Uh, Rihanna came onto the scene with her smash hit with Jay-Z, Umbrella. Yeah, great you song. And you will love this. Kanye West released Stronger, which is his Daft Punk Yes, yes, Co- off collab. graduation. Yeah, mm-hmm. future president Kanye West. I know. There's so much going on all the time. I'm there's, tired. <laughs> every time we record, there's J.K. Rowling's posting again. <laughs> <laughs> but now Kanye's posting again. <laughs> Who knows? But those are the former current events. I'm pretty excited about this movie. Like I said, this is one of my all-time favorites. I actually saw this movie seven times in movie theaters. Wow. Mm-hmm. I have uh, a Dancing Elk Condors shirt. 
I have uh-huh. the most fruitful Yuki shirt. I have posters from this. I was really into this movie. Wow. Well, I uh, so Nadia contributed to, significantly to the box office of this film. So, <laughs> uh, I did. So the film cost seven and a half million dollars to make. It was released in December two thousand seven. In December two thousand seven, it made twenty seven million dollars. Damn. That, that's really good. <laughs> and it's really, really good for one month to make, you know, three and a half times your budget back. But here's the thing. In 2008, it made another $115 million. Wow. Which made it in the top 20 highest grossing films for a year in which it didn't come out. Uh, Incredible. World, worldwide gross was $231 million. Had it made all of its money in the same year, it would have ended up right behind Mamma Mia in the year-end rankings. Oh, my um, God. I saw that also a lot of times. <laughs> um, of the five Best Picture nominees at the Oscars that year, it was the highest, growing, highest grossing by, like, an order of magnitude. The other four nominees were Atonement, uh, No Country for Old Men, which is the one that ended up winning, uh, There Will Be Blood, and Michael Clayton, which is my favorite one. Holy uh, shit, that's a stacked list. Pretty stacked, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it was also nominated for Best Director for Reitman, Best Screenplay, which it won, and then Best Actress uh, for Ellen Page. Um, well-deserved. She's well, well fantastic. De- well-deserved. Excellent performance by Ellen Page. A tr- tremendous cast, uh, like Nadia said. It's got um, not just Ellen Page. Michael Sarah is in it, and he's very charming. Um, I think a really great performance by Jennifer Garner. Mm-hmm. Um, good performance by Jason Bateman. It's hard because his character is such a piece of shit. <laughs> um, and I really love um, both of Juno's parents. I do. Um, the best. Allison Janney, of course, uh, plays her stepmom. She's wonderful and everything. But her dad is one of my favorite actors of all time. The motherfucking yellow Eminem himself. <laughs> I did not know that. It's J.K. Simmons. Oh, that's uh, amazing. I had no idea he was the yellow M&M. Yeah, he's the yellow M&M. Good uh, for him. Good for him. Uh, he's, he's great. Um, and, and uh, you know, you said uh, you had, you saw this movie seven times in theaters. You have posters. You have stuff like that. So oh, I yeah. do not have posters of this film, but I do have a poster <laughs> for young adults. Uh, oh, which nice. Which is another Cody Reitman collaboration um that i was lucky enough to uh be able to see an advanced screening of when i lived in la and uh and they did a q a afterwards so like oh, and that movie awesome. by the way is like 20 times darker than juno but yeah that it's... one was really hard to get through but i really liked it i really like a, yeah. a main character that's kind of terrible yeah but yeah uh, it's great it was, it was great yeah, yeah for for the funny thing is is that i didn't really I had no idea what the movie was about, but I was writing for my college newspaper and you got to kind of pick out what you wanted to do and I saw a free screening. I'm like, great. I looked it up and I saw Rain Wilson was going to be in it and I was really into The Office. So I was just Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go see it. I'll see Rain Wilson. If it's bad, I'll just take off. I won't tell the newspaper about it. But I, so I invited a couple friends to come with me and we, all of us were just crying in the movie theater (laughs) multiple times. It was a really, as from an acting standpoint this movie is just really fucking solid mm-hmm. and i was in the process of transferring to a different school to do musical theater and i changed my major so that i could do dramatic acting based on this movie wow so, yeah so this movie means a lot to me so when i was watching it i thought 
I there's I don't think there's anything I can say about it that's bad. I think I'm gonna be really bad and boring during this episode. But then that part where Jason Bateman kind of <laughs> turns, I was like, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> Nadia Nadia that. texted me during the week to be like, I don't know if I'm gonna have anything to say during this episode. And 15 <laughs> minutes later, she texted me. She's like, never mind, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. You know, you hold movies really close to your heart, and then you know, like ten years pass, and you forget, and then yeah. you watch it again, and all those feelings rush back, and then you catch other things that you, yeah. as an adult, are just like, oh, ah, I don't know. It's kind of like watching a Disney movie, like watching Pocahontas now well. versus when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, <laughs> lord. <laughs> um, uh, what if the white people were good for the Indians? But <laughs> the. The thing about this movie is, you know, most of my criticisms of the movie are really going to be about the first 15 minutes. Because the first 15 minutes of Juno are a (laughs) fucking endurance test. (laughs) You're such a hater, dude. Don't you love cool, quirky comedies? Come on. You said that you and your friends were in the theater you're like in tears and and look let me tell you second half of this film is way better than the first but um the first 15 minutes of this movie i think when the best friend says honest to blog was when (laughs) stacy leans leaned over to me in the theater and was like okay is the whole movie just gonna be like this <laughs> i thought you were gonna talk about the part where rain wilson says that's one oh we'll, they we'll get to that get undone. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that because at that point <laughs> i remember t- turning to my friend and being like oh here we go like there's got to be a scene where we see the main character p and we did and we do we definitely yeah, do so yeah. yeah plot of the film sorry before we get into the detail you guys <laughs> probably already know the plot uh ellen page plays juno mcguff 16 year old high school junior who uh unexpectedly becomes pregnant uh, with her boyfriend, Polly Bleeker, played by Michael Sarah. She um, gets af- pregnant with Polly Bleeker? Polly Bleeker is inside of her uterus? Okay, so, look, we don't need to go into my Juno Vore fan art right now. But... <laughs> try again, try again. But, uh, <laughs> no, I think I nailed it. Juno and her boyfriend get pregnant. Um, well, Juno... he's not pregnant. He's not pregnant. Okay. <laughs> Take three. <laughs> Juno's boyfriend comes inside her. No! She ends up uh, conceiving. She briefly considers uh, terminating the pregnancy and then uh, decides to instead give the baby up for adoption to a couple played by uh, Jason Bateman and Jennifer Garner. Uh, and so with the support of her parents and uh, with some ups and downs in her relationship with Michael Sarah. Um, we get to uh, watch Juno kind of go from conception to delivery to eventually um, the adoption of the baby by Jennifer Garner uh, and kind of see how it affects uh, all of her relationships. And, of course, the main thing about the film is that Juno is uh, not like other girls. No, uh, she's quirky. She's, she's fun. She likes punk rock. She's got she wears a, a ponytail. Got a hamburger phone. Uh, <laughs> she... Uh, tries to tries to hang herself with a red vine at one point <laughs> um, and uh you know the f- a lot of this movie has a lot of kind of very hip kind of quirky dialogue and it works for the most part but yeah. the first 15 minutes really i think overshoots it uh in terms of how many clever uh quirky lines they try to jam in Right, right. Well, the the cool part of this movie is right away you get a really great soundtrack. And that's the part of the movie that I, I forgot about when I was re-watching it. And when those songs hit, they hit hard. <laughs> I was like, oh, I remember streaming this soundtrack pretty hardcore in 2007, 2008. 
good soundtrack, but counterpoint, I did track uh, each time a new music cue started, which music cue it was, and what time code we were at. So in a 95-minute movie, there are 26 music cues, uh, <laughs> which is one new song every three and a half minutes, which is a lot. That is a lot. And question, I forget, did Kimya Dawson write some for the movie and then include some of her own I believe things. so, yes. Okay, yeah. Because it, it's a lot of, like, not great singing, but very quirky songs. <laughs> yes. It was great. So we should talk about the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, it, it started, started with, with a chair. chair. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the part of the movie, watching it again, I'm like, oh, I just didn't understand the whole thing with the chair. Apparently, whose chair was it? that they fucked on because think... she said it was somebody's her neighbor's chair why were they fucking in their neighbor's house what's happening i think i thought it was her chair and she brought it to bleaker's house but she maybe said I... she stole it from so-and-so's yard mrs something's yard so the that's import... where i'm like what <laughs> so okay so maybe that's it but the again this is kind of indicative of the movie is things are kind of random yeah um yeah. But also, right before Polly Bleeker uh, goes inside of her, uh, he says wizard, uh, <laughs> just as an adjective, just about as how cool it is that he gets to fuck. That's uh, his best friend, and he calls her wizard. You show some respect to Michael Sarah and his quirkiness. Is he calling her wizard, or is he just like, oh, this is so wizard? No, wizard is her nickname, bro. Okay, well. He calls I'm her still, wizard, like, I'm two still, or three I'm, times in I'm the movie. I'm still not cool with it. Uh, <laughs> That's her nickname from him. That's sweet. Okay. Um, you have no heart at all. I don't. What happened don't. to you? Are you okay? It's just, there's <laughs> just a stone there now. Um, okay. So she's pregnant. She's drinking Sunny, G, Sunny D from the jug so she can take a pregnancy test. She goes to the convenience store. Rain Wilson's the clerk. He's just unbearable. Uh, and... And, uh, and it's just like, hey, that ain't no Etch-A-Sketch. This is one doodle that can't be undid, home skillet. What's the prognosis, fertile myrtle? Uh, <laughs> and, and she has a positive pregnancy test, which is it, the scariest thing for a 16-year-old yeah, girl. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, and like I said, you know, Ellen Page's performance is great. And it, 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 can, it carries the whole movie at points. Um, so you definitely get the sense about the sense of like kind of the fear that she feels, but also like her attempt to kind of cover it and play it cool, um, even to herself. And I think, uh, Ellen Page does a really good job, um, depicting all of that. Definitely. She's a very grounding force in the whole world of this whole thing. Yeah. Um, but then she calls her best friend and I transcribed the entire conversation, uh, here because it was, because it's going to stay burned into my head forever. (laughs) Um, so she calls her friend, friend picks up, yo, 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 giddy, yo. Juno says, I'm a suicide risk. The friend says, Juno? Juno says, no, it's Morgan Freeman. Do you have any bones that need collecting? And as a side note, I'm pretty sure Morgan Freeman isn't actually in the movie The Bone Collector. (laughs) Yeah, but maybe Juno doesn't know that. And Why then, are you being so so mean to Juno, Tony? What's going and, on with you? And then the friend says, only the one in my pants. Ha, 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 ha. 
and then Juno says, I'm pregnant, and then the friend says, what? Honest to blog? And again, this is, Stacy turns to me, she's like, is the whole movie gonna be like this? Uh, Juno says, I've taken like three pregnancy tests, and I am for shiz up the spout. I just feel like you don't appreciate the quirkiness of indie films. Like, think about the budget of this movie. Like, do you think that they're gonna, you know, do something better? <laughs> she, this was her, pro- this is her first draft, okay? <laughs> first screenplay. This is the first, is Diablo's first screenplay. This is her and first screenplay. She favorite, went on to write Young Adult. Which was great. My favorite part is when her friend asks her which abortion clinic she's going to go to uh which one is the first one something oh it i i forget what they're called but it's like women women first or yeah or women now she's like i don't know i'm gonna go to women now because you know they help women now (laughs) the delivery is just so great i just really love it tony come on you gotta like let go you know let go man yeah no i know i'm too uptight man suspend the disbelief dude smoke a doobs what i need is a girl in my life who shows me that like sometimes it pays to be like kind of wild and free yeah uh (laughs) we're we're gonna have to watch elizabeth town then if you you want that that is actually a listener request so okay we can we can do elizabeth town at some point stay Um, tuned for a future episode where tony gets his dreams come true (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh there is a great um line right after this so uh, when she goes to the high school for the first time um to tell uh I think to tell Bleeker um, that she's pregnant, but she's in the high school. First of all, there's like kind of an overly obvious symbolic shot of her walking in the school hallway, and she's the only one going against the flow of everyone else. Right. Um, but she's like talking about um, the different types of girls and who guys are into, and uh, she has like the the quirky indie girl who, and it's like girls who like play the cello and read McSweeney's. Um, <laughs> Which is a very funny line, but also... It's a very funny uh, line and very specific to white people. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's also, like, the target audience for this film, I feel. Yeah, yeah, for sure, Um, for sure. Hilarious line where um, the cheerleader girl is into teachers, and she's flirting with one of the teachers and saying, Me too, I love Woody Allen. (laughs) (laughs) I also love that she says that popular guys are really into the freaky girls like her, and the popular guy is played by one of the kids that was in Degrassi, The Next Generation, in the same cast as Drake. Yes. <laughs> and I was very excited to see him again. It's like, where's this guy been? He uh, didn't write a twenty-five. Jimmy. He didn't write a twenty-five track album, so I don't know where he's up to. Look, we've said it before on this podcast, Drake. If you're listening, and I know you are, <laughs> your albums are too long, man. You got to cut them down. <laughs> It's like a Judd Apatow movie. It's like yeah. 30 to 40 minutes a little too long. <laughs> there's, there's there's definitely some fat we can cut there. Yeah. Um, you guys need to get together and talk about what's really going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what else happens here? She calls the clinic to schedule her abortion. And she's like, can you hold on a second? I'm on my hamburger phone. Uh, and uh, yeah. and then... That hamburger phone was available at Urban Outfitters for a few years after this movie came out at least a decade i definitely have the hamburger phone (laughs) i have nowhere to plug it in and i was about to say but you don't have a landline like connection no i don't but there was an adapter where you could plug it into your cell phone 
and then use it, and I had that. And that was pretty fun. <laughs> I didn't have to shake it, though. <laughs> um, but um, do you want to talk about the scene at the clinic? Because I have, like, an awful lot of notes on it. Yeah, absolutely. So Juno walks up to this clinic, which it looks really kind of shady. And there is a young lady who is her friend from school who's outside. And she's protesting by herself. And she's saying, she's Asian. And in I'm, broken English, yeah. In bro- and, and she speaks perfect English, unfortunately. <laughs> but she's saying, all babies want to get borned. All babies want to get borned. And Ellen Page goes up to her juno and says oh hey you know how's it going and she's like uh you know it's fine I'm kind of distracted because i'm you know protesting abortion and uh ellen page is like yeah you know i don't know if you you know take any behavioral meds or something but you should be careful with those because you know i know somebody who had a mental breakdown in the fountain at the mall and <laughs> she's like oh i thought that was you and it was so that is our backstory into what juno was like before her pregnancy it's again reiterating that she's very quirky and very strange and that people are somewhat afraid of her honestly yeah and then uh the other thing that um that the her classmate says outside is like basically you shouldn't get an abortion because your baby is alive and it has fingernails fingernails um and so juno goes into the clinic uh she you know signs in she's in the waiting room and she sees kind of everyone's fingernails yep. <laughs> in the waiting room. Everybody's like scratching their head or filling out paperwork or whatever. Um, and she basically like kind of freaks out and uh, just decides to hastily get up and leave and not have the abortion. That's right. And Su Chin, her friend, says, your baby thanks you as she runs away. And all Christians applaud. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of what I want to talk about with this film, is this is a movie about a teen mother who almost gets an abortion and then doesn't. And this movie has been adopted uh, by some of the worst people in the world. It's so unfortunate. <laughs> so unfortunate. As, as, the, as this great anti-abortion film, which... Diablo Cody, herself a former sex worker, uh, <laughs> did not intend to happen. Right. Um, and so uh, she has said in multiple interviews, uh, there's one with The Guardian, quote, I don't feel I was clear enough in terms of why Juno chose not to have an abortion. It was simply because she did not want to. It was not about any type of feeling that abortion was wrong. I'm pro-choice. So for it to be interpreted as an anti-choice movie, that's upsetting to me. Um, yeah. The uh, the other thing that happened in 2007 was that Knocked Up came out, mm-hmm. uh, which is also about um, an unexpected pregnancy where they briefly consider uh, terminating the pregnancy, and they don't. And it was also held up, perhaps less so because Juno was a PG-13 movie and <laughs> Knocked Up was an R-rated movie, but uh, held up as like this great pro-life document. Um, so... Uh, if I can just interject, you know, kind of right here, Nadia, I have two brief pieces of writing from Catholic magazines. Oh, hell yeah. You know, it's funny because Diablo Cody said Catholic high school specifically were writing to her, thanking yes. her yes. for that. And she said, I fucking hate all of you. <laughs> yeah, I, it was it was her high school, right? I think she went yeah. to a Catholic high school and her school wrote to her to thank yeah. her for writing such a pro-life message. And she was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, please. 
Um, so, first uh, piece of writing is from America Magazine, which is written by Jesuits. Uh, and, oh, cool. Uh, who are, you know, it's a sliding scale for priests, but generally yeah. towards the cooler end of the priest spectrum. I like Jesuits. Uh, yeah. I went to a Jesuit college first two years of my life. And, and yeah, and I went... Great. And I went to a Jesuit high school, and they sent kids down to protest at School of the Americas. So, like, they're cool. Yeah! Um, but um, American On Magazine... some stuff, yeah. Yeah. American Magazine writes, uh, quote, The real fairy tale of the film is not that Juno has the baby, but that she seems able to go back to her normal life after the birth. Um, I think it's a mistake to label Juno pro-life. Uh, the film excels at skewering both pro-choice and pro-life sentiment. That Juno has her baby seems less a sign of the film's pro-life message than of narrative necessity, uh, which is probably true, right? Um, mm-hmm. Still, Juno is further proof that a young generation of writers and directors isn't interested in fighting the same old battles on life issues. When it comes to abortion, the change in hearts and minds that many of us seek may still be a long way off, but the shift in tone signaled by films like Juno is surely a reason to be encouraged. So, kind of the takeaway from America Magazine was like, maybe people will be cool about us trying to ban abortion. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, they like, because uh, they, you know, because they're quirky and fun and they watch Juno. Uh, the other piece of writing is um, in the Atlantic from 2007, and this is Ross Douthat. So uh, Douthat, uh, now he writes for the New York Times, but he's this conservative Catholic um, op-ed columnist, and uh, he is, uh, I mean, he's pretty dumb, but he's better than like 90% of the writers at the New York Times, which is more <laughs> a statement on the New York Times uh, op-ed section. Um, uh, Juno is a film about hot-button subjects. Uh, that succeeds artistically because it complicates rather than oversimplifies every one of the thorny issues uh, it raises. I would say that Juno goes further than knocked up in presenting abortion as a plausible choice, and uh, Juno McGuff's decision to bear her child to term is an act of personal autonomy that's of a piece with her broader nonconformity. Uh, however, the crucial decision isn't cast as a validation of nonconformity for nonconformity's sake. It's cast as a case where being a nonconformist happens to be the right thing to be. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Juno may not be moved by thoughts of her embryo's hallowed rights, uh, exactly. She seems to be moved by the unremitting grossness of the abortion clinic, complete with a pathetic-seeming girl receptionist who tells her that they need to know about, quote, every sore and every score— and more importantly, by the declaration from a pro-life Asian classmate keeping a lonely vigil outside the clinic that her child-to-be already has fingernails. Careful viewers will note that while Juno sits in the clinic filling out paperwork, the camera zooms in on the fingernails of the other people in the waiting room. Okay, so, Ross, that is not something that careful viewers would note. That is no. something any fucking viewer would note. It is probably a, a film that is generally well-directed. That scene is the least subtly directed scene in the film. Right. Um, and then Doubt That's last line is, none of this means that the movie is a brief for overturning Roe v. Wade, far from it, but it's decidedly a brief for not getting an abortion. That's so funny because I don't see that at all. Right. Well, I think people see what they want to see. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> Especially true. That's on issues true. like this. That's interesting. I When I was watching it as a younger Nadia, I don't recall saying, this took a stance. I thought it was a coming-of-age movie where something 
pretty hardcore happens to the main character, but she helps someone in the end with yes. the thing that happens with her. I don't see it as any kind of stance on anything. So I find this very fascinating. And I didn't even realize that this was such a huge thing until I did some research on it. Yeah, well, and uh, so I think the way you just described the film is the right way to look at it. At least it's the way that I see it now watching the yeah. film. Um, and, and I think that is, um, that's exactly right. It's like, it's this complicated coming of age story, but it is, it's not a film that I think is meant to make a political stance. The other thing, I mean, it's 2007, 2008, Sarah Palin nominated for vice, friend of the show, Sarah Palin, <laughs> uh, nominated for vice president, um, in the, in the, uh, Republican party ticket. She has a 17 year old daughter who's pregnant and uh, coincidentally, because she's governor of Alaska at the time, they live in the city of Juneau. Uh, oh, so wow. there's a lot of like witty headlines from this period that are like a, a real life Juno in Juneau, Alaska. <laughs> Great, lovely. It's it's interesting. I'm gonna sound. I'm not gonna sound great when I say this. <laughs> And I, I, I admit that this isn't going to sound great. And I hope that someday in the future, somebody doesn't pull a quote from what I'm about to say and use it out of context. I but, will uh, just cut this specific part and post it separately so that people <laughs> only listen to it out of context. I, I am starting to resent any form of art to be used for someone else's gain. I, I totally get it. <laughs> it. Because especially things that have been made in the past, uh, I, I feel like for one of the movies that we're watching in the future, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, th th these two movies, now doing research on them, I'm just like, okay, I understand that there are groups of people who don't feel heard and don't feel represented in the media, right? You could argue that there are a lot more people out there than just like, you know, the general people who are more famous, who are white, blonde, blue-eyed, all that stuff. They're yeah. very highly represented in media. But people who are still those characteristics still don't feel represented when they themselves are a part of a group that is somewhat hateful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and also who don't really contribute much to progress in society. So it really bothers me when they're taking something that's supposed to be just a nice movie where you're supposed to feel something and, you know, turn it into a political thing. This happens all the time now. Yes. Far, far worse than it was in 2007. But at this point, taking anything and turning it into something to get up on your soapbox about it is is getting tiring i am very tired of this and it makes me not want to make anything because i'm afraid someone's going to be like well you said this and i'm interpreting it this way and i'm just like you're a fucking idiot i <laughs> for on the one hand there are people that i think oh great like i i'm really glad that you have this representation now but these people not are not like helping anybody yeah, I think... It makes me upset, honestly. Because <laughs> it's I, like, it, I, I just want to enjoy this movie with its cute soundtrack. Why does it have to be a whole thing? It, it's... I agree with everything you said. I think, you know, the um, pro-life Christians got their own uh, film studios now. So, like, they kind of <laughs> quarantined themselves off uh, in in that corner of Hollywood. But... Are those Lifetime movies? 
Uh, no, it's like the um, it's like the epic films, like God's Not Dead type stuff. Oh, um, oh movies I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, which is good. Um, mm-hmm. I also like, but I I I think what where I have the issue is thinking that the film belongs to you. Yeah. If you didn't make it, um, and and to you know, I think just kind of by nature of the shit I watch, like for me, I see that more like kind of fandom type um, yeah culture you know when you look at what happens with star wars or with any sort of like fantasy adaptation or, or something like that right where it's like well this movie exists because of us the fans and they need to make sure they give us the fans reason. like well the idea behind making art is is that it the person who creates it had a reason for creating it right um presumably something they wanted to express or right. get across um it's, it's kind of a, a touchy subject because now everybody has the ability to state their opinion and it can go viral and other people will be like, well, since this opinion has 32,000 retweets, then this is the correct opinion. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that that's correct on either side, but I also don't want to overstep and have someone be like, I found a tweet from you from 2006 where you said UCB sucks and like, you know, whatever it is. Right. Uh, but I mean, I was speaking with a friend of mine about Sonic the Hedgehog mm-hmm. and I was just like... <laughs> As we all do. <laughs> right. And I saw a tweet that was like, the revolution started when we as an audience refused to watch the shitty version of Sonic the Hedgehog and that studio listened to us. So we have the power to make change in the world. It was a joke. And so I shared it with him and he's like, yeah, but isn't that dangerous when the audience is able to have that much power over a multi-million dollar studio? And I was like, hold on a second. That was a really shitty version of Sonic. (laughs) I think that was okay. But I do see that kind of danger in, I mean, Star Wars is a great example. Like the, the fans really took to, you know, Finn and Poe being like a couple and the actors really wanted them to be a couple and would like outwardly talk about it in interviews and so when the movie didn't go in that direction people were upset so it's like and then they're like this movie is bad this movie those movies weren't great in a different way yeah, there there are plenty of other reasons why those movies were bad <laughs> plenty of other reasons but that is that being a main reason just because the creators didn't give in to what the fans wanted like that it, i think we're skirting dangerous territory in general yeah except for game of thrones which was terrible <laughs> maybe should have listened to the fans a little bit more on that one yeah and um, i don't i don't want to sound like i'm anti like fandom or anything because i've been a part of very intense yes. po- pockets of fandom but i also feel like it is discouraging to artists who have an idea and when the fans are have decided to i don't know queer code one of the characters or uh, code it with whatever other like mm-hmm. political stance they want. To well, code what if it with. what if they it's... coded a character as someone who thinks Roe v. Wade should be overturned? <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I'm talking about. It's it's. Right. It, I think I appreciate all of the world turning into an opinion party all the time. Like I get it. I think people's opinions are really valid and it's great. But I also think that like sometimes it's okay to just watch something and be chill. Yes, I agree. Is that um, is that potentially controversial? I don't know. I think it's good to have a critical eye about stuff, but I also think it's important that you can calm the fuck down. It's bad for your 
blood pressure. And also, it's just nice to enjoy things. It's okay. It's like with this whole Hamilton thing. People are like, this is a dangerous thing to put on Disney because it's revisionist history. It's like, yeah, it's a musical. (laughs) All musicals do this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is you also have to keep in mind that those people in real life did not rap. Like, exactly. That also, was an important part of it is they did not rap exactly. at all. But also, isn't it amazing that all of these actors of color now have a job that they yeah. never had on Broadway, which is a very privileged and upper white class yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. medium. And it's like, okay, I understand what you're saying, but like, isn't it great that these people have jobs? I don't, it's a, we're skirting a really fine line in society right now. And like, I get it. There's two sides to everything, but like having a critical eye while also enjoying something is what I want to take away from all of this. (laughs) Yes. Um, Because I I feel like I deserve to turn my brain off sometimes. Yes. Now I will say, you know, I did say a few minutes ago that the the art belongs like to the artist. There is one um, exception I want to make to that, and that is Jeff Dunham belongs to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I really hope that our listeners don't turn on me because obviously not this is this is really obviously a podcast where we have that critical eye, but we have been able to enjoy ourselves from a place of love. Exactly, from a place of love. and I feel like we're right now in a very hardcore time where if you say the wrong thing you're done <laughs> i yeah i don't care about being canceled folks uh <laughs> it doesn't matter um i don't think i i mean none of us have ever done blackface so no i think we're in the clear true. sorry shane uh, dawson uh <laughs> uh so <laughs> I sorry think I, some, I got up on my soapbox about no that, i mean sorry. that's that's what we do. Um, I think at some point we were talking about Juno, so let me see here. We were get at the point where she was telling her parents she was pregnant. Oh, it was cute. What a good scene. It is a good scene. I do love J.K. Simmons' line read on, I'm going to punch that bleaker kid in the wiener next time I see him. <laughs> it's interesting because we, we don't really get to see a lot of Juno pre this pregnancy, but we get to figure out a lot about her through how other characters talk about her. So in this scene, it's heavily implied that they know that Juno's, like, kind of bossy, yeah. and she probably just convinced Polly Bleeker to do this and wasn't smart about it, and it's her fault. Yeah. <laughs> and so that gives us another glimpse of it, into who she is that will lead us into other questionable decisions that she makes. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, the reason she is telling her parents is because at this point she has figured out what she's going to do with the baby which is she found an ad in the penny saver um (laughs) for a couple looking for a baby and uh it's a a wealthier couple in the suburbs of the big city and again because it's diablo cody the big city is minneapolis uh but it's jennifer garner and jason bateman as vanessa and mark loring so cool and they live in a really nice house very different from juno's Yes. Whole yeah. Jun- well, Juno's dad is like an HVAC technician, right? Yeah. So, so their Juno's family is in a smaller house. They are a working class family, and Mark and Vanessa are uh, are fancy lads. Um, They're fancy. They have a two story house yeah. with lots of fun pictures of them and white turtlenecks all over the house. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and you know, Vanessa is. I would say high strung. Yes. Um, she has a very specific vision for what she wants for her baby. 
um mark is the cool the cool dad he's um, a manic pixie dream dad he that's ex- thank you he's a manic <laughs> pixie dream dad he like was a rock musician but now he writes jingles for commercials um and you know it's a question that i'm going to have later in the film um because i'm still not 100 percent sure of the answer does mark want to fuck juno i know it's so i don't I don't know for I don't sure. Know. When I when I saw the movie for the first time, I thought the answer was yes. I'm like, oh, he wants, yes. he wants to fuck Juno. Right. Watching it again, I am not 100% sure that is what happens in the film. I don't think so either, but I don't really know what the nature of that relationship turns out to be. Right. Um, but he's cool. He loves rock. He loves horror films. Yeah. He says 1993 was the best time for rock music, which is insane because that was one year before the Blue Album. And... <laughs> Uh, and yeah, and they, they like to, uh, she, you know, uh, listens to his stereo with him. Jennifer Garner is just ex- so happy she's getting a baby. She makes a sound, which in the closed captions is listed as sympathetic whine. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. That whole dynamic is so interesting because it, I, I personally think Jennifer Garner doesn't really like her husband. <laughs> she gives him his own room where he, he can have his things. He even has all stuff, yeah. And he also has a little area in the garage where he can do that. Uh, but for the most part, he really doesn't have much of a say in her house. <laughs> Which is really her house. <laughs> right, yes. Yes, well, she's also uh, the breadwinner, I'm pretty sure. Right, and whenever uh. Juno goes to visit, which is a few times... Uh, they share, you know, they talk about music, they talk about movies, and one or two times she gets there and she's like, is Vanessa home? And he says, no, we are safe. And that's when things get a little creepy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, so there, there's uh, a few more scenes that pass. Um, there's, uh, they go to the ultrasound to see the 20-week the, the ultrasound. Um and there's actually a very sweet scene where um, the ultrasound tech like says a shitty thing about Juno being a teenage mom, and Allison Janney sticks up for her stepdaughter. It's amazing. Um, yeah, it was, it was actually very sweet. Um, and then you know this is then right after the ultrasound, she goes to Vanessa and Mark's house, and she's like, "Hey, is Vanessa home?" He's like, "No, we're safe." And he's like, "Oh, you had the ultrasound." And then he says, "Boy or girl, it can only go one or one of two ways." So Jason Bateman is a turf uh, <laughs> in the film. It's. Uh, Gender essentialism uh, runs rampant throughout Juno. (laughs) Turfs do not interact. Fuck you. (laughs) Uh, J.K. Rowling just posting again today, by the way, just being like, maybe this is the one that's going to fix it. Uh, Uh, I didn't see it. I'm avoiding the internet right now. (laughs) That's smart. But there's a scene where Juno comes back from visiting them, and she talks to her dad. She talks to J.K. Simmons, and she's like, yeah, no, I'm just hanging out with Mark. You know, we're listening to the stooges or whatever um and jk simmons is like yeah that's kind of not cool yeah it's actually allison janney she's oh is uh, it allison janney yeah okay. she's she's cutting out pictures of dogs because that's her character choice she's into dogs she's into dogs yeah. and and she's like uh i think you're crossing a boundary here there are a yeah. lot of different things going on in a marriage and you might be crossing that line mm-hmm. interesting yeah i mean look i'm married i don't hang out with a lot of pregnant 16 year olds <laughs> uh and and i don't have a ton of occasion to right um 
And I also really, really don't want to fuck a pregnant 16-year-old. But does um, he? Or is he it's, lonely because he doesn't have friends who are into the same possible that he does. We don't know. We don't know. It's not 100% clear. We're going to get to that scene in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the other thing that happens is, and it's a really, look, watching this movie again after, like, going through a pregnancy and becoming a dad, like... Juno runs into Vanessa at the mall, and Vanessa feels the baby kick. Yeah, um, she's sitting on the ground at the mall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which and is a little like, oh. But it's like, it's a pretty moving scene for me. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, because you know, Jennifer Garner, like, feels it, and she's like, oh, I don't feel anything. And Juno's like, well, try try talking to the baby, you know, that they say you should do that anyway, so she can get used to your voice, and, and uh, so she's, she doesn't know what to say. She's like hi hi baby it's me vanessa and then then she starts feeling the baby kick and she's clearly just overwhelmed oh my god that is the scene where i was like i need to not do musical theater yeah (laughs) i need to be a real actor (laughs) because it's it's just one of the best performances for such a small moment jennifer gardner i think jennifer gardner's great in this movie terrific she's just an incredible actor in general and very underrated because it, it, closest they, I've ever come to getting a Capital One card for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think I think this particular moment is where I would if I were Stacy with you, I would have been glad I stayed. <laughs> okay, well I'll follow up with her on that, and uh, we'll we'll see if she uh, if she comes around. Um, and then the other thing is Juno's relationship with. Uh, with Michael Sarah's character, with Pauly oh, Bleeker. So sweet. Um, yeah, but it's kind of on the rocks at this point in the film. Yeah. Because we find out he's going to prom with someone else. But she suggested it. She suggested it, but clearly she has mixed feelings about it. Right. I think in her effort to be like, everything's cool, I'm cool, I'm a cool girl, she probably watched a lot of movies where the tagline was, I'm not like other girls. Yeah. Uh, she told him, like, why don't you just go to prom with Katrina DeVore? And he's like, I don't like her. She smells like soup. And he, and she's like, well, I mean, you know, she's cool. She's nice. Why don't you just do it? And because he kind of will do anything that she says, mm-hmm. I feel like that's why he asked her. And she is just heartbroken. This is, a, this is around the time when she is also, like, getting really big. She's very pregnant. Everyone's enor- staring at her. Yeah. The enormity of the reality that she's living in is becoming pretty intense for her. Yeah. So she she um, snaps at Michael Sarah, um, and, uh, and it's just, like, re- really mad at him that he's not... I mean, he's like, you did this to me. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> And it, as I said at the beginning of the episode, he came in her, and uh, and she, you know, and she's starting to process what that all means. But there is a really great Michael Sarah line delivery here of Katrina's not my girlfriend, and I doubt she gave you the stink eye. That's just her face. <laughs> and then they cut to this girl who yeah. has a really horrible face. It's great. But then again, uh, we are told once again that it, this was all her idea, Juno's idea. It mm. wasn't his idea. He's like, you know, I know that it was your idea. I know that you wanted this because there was a lot of stuff on TV that night. But you were like, no, let's make out, la, la, la. And so she got really upset. She's getting this from all sides. She's getting it from her dad. She's getting it from her stepmom. Now she's getting it from Polly Bleeker that this is her fault. 
Yeah. And she's just pissed about it. And he's like, well, I still have your underwear. And she says, I still have your virginity. And he got pissed too. <laughs> it is t- Like, this happened to Michael Sarah, and this happened to Tony Hale too, is they, they had such an iconic performance on Arrested Development that now they have to play that same character for eternity. Right. <laughs> Um, and they're great at it. Like, so good. They're, they're very good at it, but they'll never do any other role. I that. don't. What else has he been doing lately? Sarah, I don't know what Sarah's been doing lately, but he, um, I mean, he did, it, around this time he was doing, um, Superbad was, I think, the same year. Yeah. Um, where he plays the same character. Uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, which that one's is so great. One of my all time favorites. Um, Me too. Is, uh, he, you know, same character in that. Uh, there were a couple others in there. I think, I thought he had another TV role, but I might, um... Yeah, I I don't know. I know that he did This Is The End, where he was the version of his own character, but an asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think he was really good. This was around the time where he had a web series with Clark Duke called Clark and Michael, which I urge you to check out. It's really fantastic. (laughs) Uh, This was also around the time of MySpace, so I'm going to do one of those very LA things where I brag about something. But Mm -hmm. I I posted a MySpace bulletin, and he and I were MySpace friends. And uh, I I, like bulletined about Clark and Michael, and he replied and wrote, you're an angel. So I really like him personally. (laughs) (laughs) Good. That was my very LA story. That is extremely LA. Um, uh, okay, so she goes back to Mark and Vanessa's place, and by the way, there is a shot of Jason Bateman reading Diablo Cody's blog on his computer. What? Um, yeah. Oh my god, I never noticed that. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and, uh, and they go, and they, Jason Bateman puts on Mott the Hoople, <laughs> and they start dancing with each other. Right. And he, you're he... like what does he want to fuck juno and she they're talking about being at prom and yes. she, she doesn't know how to dance and he kind of hesitates to touch her for a second and moves her and hands. then he's like oh no that's right i want to fuck her and then right he... <laughs> he moves his hands from her hands from his waist up to his shoulders and she kind of leans in and is like very close and that's when my head i'm saying does she want to fuck jason Bateman? And it's not, it's not clear it's not in the clear. movie. And it's not clear because of what's about to happen immediately after, which kind of maybe explains some of why he's doing this. But um, when, like I said, when I saw the movie for the first time, I'm like, oh, this is messed up. He, why does he, why does he want to fuck Juno at all? Um, because like, she's like giving them a baby to adopt. That's a weird relationship to develop into fucking. Um <laughs> uh but like it it's just really a dark and weird thing but you learn that he is leaving vanessa he is moving back to the big city which again is minneapolis and um basically he is a lazy piece of shit who wishes he was 19 again yeah he we could say that his development was arrested well done. Uh, <laughs> um, he, like, that's that's what it is. It's like, he wishes he was still in a rock band. He doesn't like being a grown-up. He's not ready to have a baby. 
so he's leaving Vanessa. Now, as it turns out, he has not told Vanessa that yet. No, but he tells Juno. But that's where I think it's the interesting part where he says to her, I thought you'd be cool with that. So does that mean that he wants to be young like her? Or does he want to get his own apartment so that he can fuck her in it? Right? I don't know. I don't know! Um, Now, as it turns out, Juno, like us right now, is not cool with that. No, she's just as confused. And she's like, you can't do that. I am giving up this baby so that she, or he, or they, don't don't have a fucked up situation like the rest of us. Right. She wants her baby to have, like, a loving home and not a piece of shit dad who and is yet. hoping his, uh, hoping his uh, rock career takes off. Yeah, and so Juno leaves. She's just like, okay, well, peace out. Well, Vanessa walks in the door and, exactly. J- and Jason Bateman's like, oh, uh, by the way, Vanessa, I'm leaving you. Like, <laughs> Well, first, though, it's, it's kind of sad because you get to see Jason Bateman gaslight Juno also because uh, Jennifer Garner walks in. She's like, what's going on? Why are you crying to Juno? And he's like, oh, she's just being hormonal. You're just being hormonal there, Juno? And Juno's just not saying anything. Jason Bateman's real good at playing an asshole. He's so good at playing an asshole. <laughs> I think he's such a good actor, but he's such an asshole. And <laughs> and she's like, no, like, what is going on? Tell me. And Juno won't say anything. It's not her place. And right. that's when he admits that he's leaving and is not ready to have a kid. And they have this whole fight in front of Juno. In front of her. Jesus. It's so uncomfortable. And it's Wait, really And it's supposed sad. to be. It's supposed to be. It's really sad. But it also opens Juno's eyes to the fact that there's no such thing as a perfect home. Yes. And that is like a really huge blow. When you're 16 years old and you know what is going on in your own house and you say you'll go to your friend's house and their parents are kind of off. But when you see someone really cool who's like a musician and they've got a cool house, she's just like, yeah, like this is what I should have grown up in. So if I can provide this for my kid, for them, wouldn't that be great? And that whole dream goes to shit also. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking and so sad. Yeah, so the moment where uh, they save it, uh, where I think uh, Diablo Cody um, has a very, very good scene uh, here is when she goes home, and, when Juno goes home and sees her dad, J.K. Simmons. Oh, what uh, a great man. What a great actor. Great actor, great man. Uh, Academy Award winner for Whiplash, uh, which is another one of my favorites. Um, very different tonally from Scott Pilgrim versus the world, I would say. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, uh, her, her dad gives her this, um, very heartfelt talk about like, yeah, ev- everybody's family is messed up. And the best thing you can do is to find someone who loves you for exactly who you are. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because she gets a lot of shit from a lot of people in her life, except for one person. Polly Bleeker. Polly Bleeker. Um, the other thing, it, it happened earlier in the film, but I do want to bring it up here because I think it's a really powerful line of dialogue, is when the time she is telling her parents for the first time that she is pregnant, her dad says, I didn't think you were that kind of girl. And she says, I don't know what kind of girl I am. How um, could she? She's 16. Right. And it's just, it's it's a very good line. So it's great. You know, so great. Again, I don't know if it makes up for honest to blog. <laughs> But it's a good line. Um, Diablo Cody spent a long time blogging. This is something that she actually probably says in real life. But yes. we, we are 
no one. <laughs> if we were her and her cool friends, like, uh, what's her name? Elizabeth, who's the girl who did New Girl? They're best oh, friends. Oh, uh, Meriwether. Elizabeth Eliz- Meriwether. Elizabeth, if we could hang out with them, they'd probably say really cool things. But we're no one. We don't <laughs> We don't have cool shows and movies. I say, I say cool things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you say cool Catholic things, okay? <laughs> it's very niche. <laughs> the that's okay that's fair that's a good note um but okay so like you said there's one person who's been treating her good and that's Polly Bleeker and she confronts him um on the uh on the track and she's like every time I see you the baby starts kicking super hard and he <sighs> says wizard and I'm like uh that's um, her but they're name, in love dude. they're in love so it's okay yeah you, you don't you call Stacy like a, a very interesting and kind of silly term of endearment, or do you just stick to the regular ones? I don't really like that. I I, I don't really have a cute nickname for her, nor she for me. Um, wow. I, I have like <laughs> eight. I have like eight nicknames for the baby. But oh, cute. Um, what are they? Uh, <laughs> well, I like calling her baby girl. I like calling her sweetie pie. I like calling her pumpkin butt. Uh, I like calling her, um, that, w- that one I didn't invent. Her grandma invented that one. That's very cute. Uh, but, um, there's, uh, there, what's the, oh, the meatball is the other one. Oh, I love um, that. See, that's yeah. kind of on the similar, that has similar energy to wizard. Okay, fair. Um. I'm just trying to make you be less of a hater. <laughs> that's, that's fair. So, she and Bleeker end up together, um, and... Then she's got to have the baby. That's Yay. what happens next. Yay! Thundercats are go! <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, look, the scene where she, the first time I saw this movie, I was like 19, I think. Maybe I was 20. Yeah. Um, the scene where she has the baby, now that I'm 32 and I have, uh, I have a baby, um, it's a good scene. It's, it's a, a great scene. scene. It's great. It's a very good scene. Cat Powers playing. Um, it's um, it's a good scene. It's very moving. And when Jennifer Garner gets to hold the baby for the first time and she sees Alice and Janney and she says, how do I look? And Alice and Janney says, like a new mom, scared shitless. Um, At this point, I'm blubbering. <laughs> that 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 hit real different for me. Um, oh, yeah. This time. And oh, cause, yeah. Because, like, the baby, the meatball was was born at night right it was, it was pretty late i think at like 9 p.m or something um which is late for me now um, <laughs> i was gonna say uh okay <laughs> but like it's a long day it, i had the easier job of the two of us and i was exhausted sure sure um and uh and then they just give you the baby and they're like okay we're gonna move you to a room and the three of you are gonna just sleep in that room together and you're like i have no idea what to do with this baby like what <laughs> What? Wait, what's supposed to happen now? So I, I very much understood being scared shitless. Yeah, um, for sure. It's a, it's a really beautiful scene. And this is the, also the part where they show Polly Bleeker. Uh, he runs directly from one of his track meets to go be with Juno. And he lays in bed with her and she's crying. Mm-hmm. There's no real talking about, like, oh, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do is give up a baby. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's mentioned is that Polly doesn't want to see the baby and he's just there for Juno. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, was... It, it's a, a testament to their friendship. To his friend Wizard. Yeah. 
that he is just yeah. going to be there to support her and her decision and everything. I think it was pretty great that there wasn't a lot of hullabaloo from Polly Bleeker of like, but I want to have a choice in this. It wasn't, that's not that kind of movie. This was yes. Juno's movie. And it was, it was really great. There's a shot of his cleats in bed with her with her socks on that I remember putting on my MySpace in my About <laughs> Me section. <laughs> In the who I'd like to meet section, I put that picture of the shoes. <laughs> I wanted my Polly Bleeker not to impregnate me, but, you know, the general energy of love. <laughs> anyway, so then time passes and yeah. we get to see Juno not pregnant, having a great time, biking over to Polly's house. And we and get to play, see... They play uh, the moldy peaches together. Yeah, it's great. And Jennifer Garner has her lovely baby. She's really happy. Yes, and that's the other thing, is we learned that basically Juno wrote a note to Jennifer Garner saying, after learning that she and Mark were breaking up, saying, like, I'm still in if you're still in. Um, meaning, I will still give you the baby even if you're not with Mark. And Jennifer Garner framed that note and put it up in the baby's room. Ugh! Again, blubbering. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, it's a good, it's a decent movie. It's a great movie and one of my favorites. <laughs> the only part that I, that I, now looking back, that is a little questionable, is Mark. But, because it's a little hazy, I'll let that slide. <laughs> um, well, should we talk about reviews? Let's talk about reviews. I have a lot to say. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> So I, I have two. One is from uh, Lisa Schwartzbaum, who is a longtime film critic in Entertainment Weekly. Uh, great, great writer. Um, and her review is kind of long, so I'm only going to uh, pick parts and pieces of it. But it, it says some of the things that we already covered. Particularly, it talks about this film's place in like the abortion debate. Um, and Schwartzbaum writes that, quote, director Jason Reitman and screenwriter Diablo Cody really don't give a hoot what you think about the right to life, right to choose, right to make jokes about teen sex. Their movie, a blithe charmer balanced somewhere between a life should be so neat fairy tale and life's a real bitch tragic comedy, leaves political debate at the ticket counter and focuses solely on what it's like for Juno McGuff to be Juno McGuff. Aww. In truth. Yeah. Which, which I think is accurate, right? Yes, totally. Um, in truth, Juno begins at such a pitch of hyperverbal smart-mouthing, not only by the title character, but also by everyone around her, that it takes about a half hour for the movie's long-term plans to make tolerable sense and for the laugh-baiting <laughs> banter uh, to calm down. Um, and then uh, sometimes Diablo Cody just can't help adding an extra serving of cute, like this is one doodle that can't be undid, home skillet. Uh and then soon, uh, Juno considers her choices. I'm just calling to procure a hasty abortion, she says on the phone to one clinic. The handset she uses is a novelty shape, but that's not enough. I'm on my hamburger phone, she explains, for the chance to say hamburger phone. <laughs> Truth, the old-school feminist in me wishes Juno spent more time, even a tart sentence or two, acknowledging that the options taken for granted by this one attractive, articulate teen are in fact hard-won, precious rights and need to be guarded by a new generation army of Junos and Bleakers. Um, separate, but 
separate tr but equal truth. I'm like, maybe don't use that phrase. Yeah, separate I was but say, equal no. truth. Um, this movie is so delightful and good-hearted, a portrait of the kind of new generation army that I'd like to hang with, that I'd accept the admonition, Silencio, old woman. Uh, she gave the film an <laughs> A minus. Um, and then the other review I have, um, and you know, it's it's a film review where we go to all the time. I know you guys are sick of hearing from them, but of course, I'm talking about. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, which... <laughs> yeah, for, please tell me what they have yeah, to say. For up until, like, 2011, published regular movie reviews. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, and did year-end rankings of their favorite films, of which Juno was the second best film of 2007 wow. to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Do you know um, what number one was? Uh, it it uh, was uh, Bella, which is also a film about an unexpected pregnancy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Basically, any film in which someone doesn't get an abortion uh, shoots to the top of the USCCP's list. <laughs> um, but they wrote uh, just a brief paragraph here. Juno is a smart, funny, and ultimately moving comedy drama with an equally strong pro-life message about an unwed teen who decides not to have an abortion and promises the coming baby to a childless couple who long to adopt. The narrative has just the right moral wrap-up. Wrap-up. Performances and directions are top. Yeah, pardon me. Performances and direction are tops. Unfortunately, marred by the high expletive level of its appealing, but <laughs> sassy heroine. So happy that there's no abortion. Ah, still too many swears. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about, which I think is important to to note, uh, if you go back and read or even watch interviews with Diablo Cody. Uh, the way that she's treated by the media mm. when she's doing her press junket for this was just so unfair. And when I was looking at the reviews uh, on Common Sense Media, there were a lot of references to that. Um, because, as we said, Diablo Cody was a part-time sex worker. And uh, there were a lot of things that were kind of unfair in how people portrayed her. One, The New York Times' first ever... Uh, profile on her was titled Diablo Cody climbing the stripper pole to Hollywood stardom. Oh boy. Yeah. So there was, there was a lot of, there's a lot of shaming of Diablo Cody when it came to the reviews on common sense media. So I actually found 62 parent reviews and 164 kid reviews for this movie. Holy shit. Which is the most any movie that we've seen have had. Yeah, uh, and folks, we're going through all of them. <laughs> I did. I combed through a lot of them. A lot of them were very shamey to Diablo Cody. And I just want to say, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's shitty. That was a different time, like I mentioned before, when Britney Spears was having her kind of mental breakdown in 2007. That is very warranted by the way, looking back at all of the things that she had gone through up until that point. Yeah, her conservatorship is fucked up, folks. We yeah. need to uh, get her out of that. It's really sad. So I just want to say that we as a society have not treated women very well. Katherine Heigl being one of them, Megan Fox being another, and that has come to light even more lately. Oh, yeah, like very recently, yes. Exactly. And also, if you haven't seen Jennifer's Body... Please do. And also watch the interview that Megan Fox did with Diablo Cody where they talk about things that they went through during the press junket of it. It's really horrifying. And it's even more horrifying that people are using Diablo Cody's job to justify why the movie is bad. And mm. there was a lot of shaming in it. So I combed through those and I found some that were a little more fair, still funny, which 
of course you have to have right. uh yeah but uh i think if you want to go and check out all of that stuff on diablo cody it's very interesting uh seeing the types of uh ways that she is described for the for press for juno versus how she's described from 2018 with her most recent movie tully which is also mm. very dark and very good uh, but definitely check that out, just as a, a little, little feminist thing for all of our readers, who I'm sure are readers, our listeners, who are all feminists. Um, I actually, I do transcribe every podcast and post it as a text document on the RSS feed. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so I have mostly parent reviews because they are the most ridiculous. Uh, parent of a 14-year-old writes, if you want your teens to think pregnancy is cool, watch Juno. Teenage girl shoplifts from a storekeeper who is kind to her. That never happened. Vomits in her mother's favorite vase and has unprotected sex with a boy she doesn't even like very much, which isn't true. She makes the important decision of whether or not to have an abortion based on her dislike of the other women in the doctor's waiting room. I don't know what movie this woman watched. She is shallow and irresponsible, but the movie asks us to love her because she is quirky and cute. False values from a dangerously charming role model. Yeah, I wrote this one in 2007. I'm sorry, this one was me. Tony. Okay, parent of a six-year-old writes, uh, Mixed Feelings. It's a good movie, but I have mixed feelings about some of the messages. Yes, it's about a teenager taking responsibility for an unintended pregnancy, but it does two things. Makes abortion an absolute non-choice and makes adoption look like an easy, feel-good choice, which I think is fair. Juno sheds some tears at the end as she placed her baby with the adoptive mom, but finally ends up cheerfully going about her old life. I never gave a child up for adoption, but I would think that life could never just go back to normal just like that. It makes it look too pat, too easy, and win-win answer for a teenager's unplanned pregnancy when there are never any easy answers. I would have preferred a more open look at how hard the process is and how a teenage child heals after going through pregnancy and loss, abortion or adoption, but I bet that would not make as popular of a movie. And to this parent, I say, why don't you write the sequel? Yes, Juno 2, Tuno. <laughs> Tuno! Just, just the number two and then... N-O. Uh, I'll work on uh, photoshopping something like that. Okay, this is my last parent review. This is common sense user idiot. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. Is that their actual username? That's their username. Jesus. Great. Mature, eight years old and up. I liked the pro-life message because it makes kids think. It shows how hard it is to go through with it. Unlike other movies where someone's pregnant one day and not the next and that is that. And it shows how much remorse she has and all the looks she gets. I think it's iffy for 8+, plus, definitely 10+. plus. I mean, because if your 8-year-old knows what sex is, that is your fault. <laughs> At 8, they think they are kissing, and when I was 8, I was covering my own eyes. I don't know what that meant. It goes completely over their heads. Just make sure they now, <clears throat> excuse me, just make sure they now, not to go, they know. Sorry, there's a lot of typos in this one. Username idiot. It it goes completely over their heads. Just make sure they know not to go to school the next day and blab about how Juno is their new fave movie. It has a great message. And as far as language, I mean, really, the S word and the fuck word. I mean, if your kid is mature, they now, they know only grownups say those things when they are hurt. I'm still stuck on the unbelievable darkness of the sentence. If your kids know about sex at age eight, it's your fault. (laughs) 
I love this review. I had to comb through so many fucking reviews, dude. This is, I couldn't believe how many reviews were on Common Sense Media. There were like eight pages of reviews. It took me hours. Uh, this is the only kid review. I thought this was the most seemingly adorable and also non-Christian-ish review. Okay. 16-year-old says, great movie for teens and mature tweens, but parents should watch it first and decide. Really does depend on your kid. Parents should know that there's too much drinking. Consisting of Sunny D orange juice, happy face. The, the movie is great. I watched it when I was about 12 or 13. I'm 16 now. And it was just the thing that got me into indie films. It made me think a lot about teenage pregnancy and how it altered the life of a girl like myself after making one bad choice. And how after that, her every decision was harder than the last, even though she tries to hide it most of the time through her cynical expressions and apparent indifference towards the baby she's carrying. So, while Juno is not an ideal role model, but remember, all role models have flaws and make mistakes, her story is... It will teach your kids about some of life's problems and how even in what may seem like the most terrible situation, you can always find your way through with the support of your family and true good friends. Unfortunately, my parents don't really talk with me about movies or anything that interests me. Really? <laughs> Hold on. Shit. Okay. Unfortunately, my parents That's don't really... That's pretty good. I know. Unfortunately, <laughs> my parents don't really talk with me about movies or anything that interests me, really. But if you have a great family who likes to communicate, I applaud you. And, ha <laughs> and I hope you have real chats about topics such as these. Juno's a great movie to get the conversation started. <laughs> just, just the Sunny D head fake I thought was going to be the best part of this. And uh, <laughs> really just... <laughs> I felt really just so surprised sad. me. I felt so sad. There's more to the review, but that part made my heart break, so I was just like, I'm just going to read this one. Yeah, I don't know. What? Maybe you guys will like it. Maybe you can talk to your parents about it. You know, if your parents, like, give a shit about <laughs> the stuff you like. <laughs> it's so heartbreaking. I don't mean to laugh at this poor child, but that's pretty funny. <laughs> anyway, those are all the reviews. Like I said, there were a lot of ones... You can take a look at them. There were a lot of them that were pretty hard to to get through just because people were just really mean about Diablo Cody. Don't be mean to Diablo Cody, folks. She's um, been through enough. She's been through enough. Um, but uh, also she won an Oscar for her first screenplay, which is um, pretty nuts. Uh, so, I know, right? Jeez. Uh, so... Um, any final thoughts on the film, Nadia, other than you love it and it's your favorite? I love it and it's my favorite. And I think Ellen Page is just one of the best actors. And I feel very privileged to live in the same time period as her to be able to watch this movie and the Umbrella Academy, which I love. She is a great actor. And I know there there uh, was a movement, I think, still going on to um, have Ellen Page um take the place of ellen degeneres as the main gay ellen <laughs> uh which is a which I'm is a movement that. i fully support 100 percent. Um, we've had enough of ellen degeneres we've had enough of ellen degeneres i'm pretty sure ellen page is not friends with george w bush uh <laughs> and so so i definitely support that look i said i didn't like this movie in 07 um i definitely like it way better now i think nadia likes it better than i do yeah um but it's okay uh, but it is um it's okay. I was worried that it was going to be a thing where I was like, I love it. And you were just like, no. I hate it. If you can get past the first 15 minutes of dialogue, which is challenging, um, 
It's not it that a, bad. It it's not a, that bad if you just accept that people are a little weird, man. You gotta be a little quirky, a very dude. Very sweet, very <laughs> moving film, um, and it's got some funny moments in it. And J.K. Simmons is in it, and he's great in absolutely everything. Um, it's so, lovely. It's lovely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with that, folks, thank you so much for listening. Probably shoulda Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we will see you for the next episode. Bye. You're a part-time lover and a full-time friend. The monkey on your back is the latest trend. I don't see what anyone can see.